Good morning. Welcome to this gathering of Chillicothe Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Dan. Pastor Tim, our senior pastor, is away on vacation. I get the great joy and privilege of sharing the Bible with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning. The question on the table for us is how do we have peace? How on earth do we have peace? Like, we all want it, right? We want peace in our culture. We want peace in our community. We want peace in our nation. We want peace in our homes. We want peace, but if we're honest, sometimes it kind of feels like sand slipping out of our fingers. Like, we want to hold on to it. We want to have it, but it's just kind of sliding through our fingers, Unfortunately, the sad reality is we are raising the most restless, anxious generation to, to date. Uh, Gen Z, those who are born between 1995 and 2010, 70% of those in that generation would say that, hey, I struggle with anxiety. Um, the Suicide rate from 2000 to 2016 has increased by 30%. And this isn't just a generational thing. Two out of every ten Americans struggle or admit to struggling with some form of anxiety or some form of stress. So, in the midst of this restlessness, in this midst of lack of peace, in the, the midst of the lack of joy that we're trying so desperately to hold on to, what does the Bible say? How do we have a God-honoring, God-glorifying peace in our lives? And because our God is good, because our God is faithful, He has given us an answer in His Word. And so that's where we're going to be camping out, Philippians 4. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 9 this morning, and then we'll pray and, and dive in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of peace. And Lord, for your name and for your renown, may your word go forth. May we hear it. May we be obedient to it. God, bring us solace and peace that, that only that you can give. Guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, peace-filled people. People who, are, people who are categorized by peace 
are really marked by three things. So the first thing that we see in this text, peace-filled people are people of joy. They're people of joy. Let's reread verse 4 together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, this verse is pretty easy to understand, right? What the Apostle Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is daily find joy in the Lord. Daily find joy in the Lord. And there's so much here that we're going to kind of go word by word. We're not going to do this with the whole passage, but there's just so much here. I don't want you guys to miss it. So number one, let's talk about joy. What does joy mean? You know, it kind of feels like sometimes in in church circles, joy is like happiness 2.0, right? Or like it's like the Christian version of happiness, right? If you think of a joyful person, sometimes it's described in church as like, a person who's never sad, who always has a smile on their face, who's always happy. And that's good. And I'm, I'm glad that people are happy, but I don't know if that's the most helpful definition. Uh, on his, in his commentary on this passage, John MacArthur gives us a great definition that we're going to be working from. So what is joy defined? Joy is not a feeling. It is a deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for the believer's good and for his own glory. And thus all is well, no matter what the circumstances. So what is joy? Joy is a confidence in the Lord that leads to contentment in our lives. Joy is a confidence in the Lord that can lead to a contentment in our lives. And, And the text is clear. We're to find joy and the Lord alone. That's why the study of God or theology is so important. It may seem dry. It may seem just not fun. Uh, I'm taking the worship team through systematic theology, and, and one of the great writers of a systematic theology is Wayne Grudem, and he is an incredible, brilliant theologian. Uh, we recommend a lot of his resources, but dynamic speaker, he is not Okay, he kind of reminds us of, of like a Dr. Turtle, okay? So he's just very dry. He's very monotone. But you know what? Theology is still valuable. Why is theology valuable? Because we begin to study who God is and what God has done. And, and not only do we understand big ideas, but good theology encourages us and emboldens us to apply truth to our lives. It's not just to learn junk, it's, but it's to apply these things and be conformed more into the image of Christ. And so when we learn theology, we realize our view of God is much too small, and we ought to be in awe of him more. And as we are in awe of him, that gives us that confidence, that gives us that joy. So we are to find joy in the Lord, and this is a daily endeavor. Why is it a daily endeavor? We are so prone to, to wonder. You know, every single thing is pulling and vying for our attention, right? It's trying to pull us away from the concept or, or the idea that we can find joy. There are marketing campaigns. Their whole 
job is to make you feel like you're discontent, that you don't have enough. So they can pull you away from joy. So before we get even super deep into this text, the question on the table is, what am I pursuing? Am I pursuing happiness or am I pursuing joy? Am I telling you not to be happy? No, be happy. But, but happiness is fleeting. Happiness is a shot in the arm. Happiness is all the likes and all the loves and all the cares on Facebook that really don't matter. It's that swell of pride uh, when, when you see your kid be like the favorite kid in preschool, right? You know, you're, you're like, you kind of humble brag about that, right? It's, it's the swell of pride when you see your kid carry the basketball team or when you get the promotion. But ultimately, happiness is fleeting. So are we pursuing happiness or are we pursuing a confidence in the Lord that leads to contentment in our lives? And sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves. Are we pursuing cynicism or are we choosing joy? So here's the crazy thing about Facebook. Facebook wants you to become a user, right? They want your face in a screen, they want you using their app. So they want you on your phone. They want you on the computer. They want you, uh, and they want your attention. Because if they can have your attention, they can sell you stuff. Okay? So they're going to put things that, they're going to create algorithms. They do create algorithms that, um, that examine your viewing habits. And when you stop on something and when you view it, they're going to put more of that in front of you. And more often than not, that's stuff that you disagree with or stuff that makes you angry or both. Because if you look at a video or if you look at a, a page or if you look at a blog post and you're like, are you, are you kidding me? And you click on it, you're in. That's the hook. And I'm not here to talk about the evils of Facebook. I'm not here to talk about the evils of social media. It's a tool to be redeemed, but if you're being mastered by it, you probably shouldn't use it, Right? I'm not here to talk about that because, honestly, we've sought cynicism as a society long before Facebook. You know, misery loves company. Have you ever just met a miserable person? They're just kind of like a pig in mud, man. They just want to waller in it, you know. They just want to hunker down, just get into the mud. They want to bring you in. They do. So are we a people who are pursuing happiness or joy? Or are we a person who pursues cynicism? Or do we pursue joy? Well, Dan, how do we pursue joy? How do we pursue a joy in the Lord? And here's some practical things. Number one, choose to dwell on the attributes of God. Choose to dwell on the Lord and who he is. Well, how do we develop like a well? How do we develop like a reservoir to like pull out and remember the attributes of God? Well, we read and pray the Psalms. So, God, what does that look like? You know, the Psalms tell us uh, that the Lord is a shield, so we can read that passage and say, the Lord is a shield and a fortress. And we can meditate on that, and we can think about that, and we can pray, Lord, thank you for being a shield around me. Thank you for helping me not pursue a wrong relationship. Help me, thank you for not letting me pursue a job that I would know I'd be miserable in. Thank you for being a shield. And choose to meditate on that attribute of the Lord. 
just throughout the day. Lord, thank you that you are my shield and choose to meditate on him. Also, a really practical thing is music. Ah, of course, the music guy's going to talk about music. Yeah, he is. Come on, somebody. We're going to talk about music. Music is a great tool to remember truth. You know, after this sermon, Lord willing, the, this, this, the truth of the Word of God would penetrate your hearts and you'd be encouraged by it. But more often than not, we kind of forget kind of the big points of the sermon after lunch. You know, it kind of gets closer to noon and we're like, okay, if I can download the app real quick, I can beat the Methodist to Olive Garden and maybe I can get reserved. And is Texas, no, okay, uh, McDonald's. All right, we're going to McDonald's, right? <laughs> Our minds are so prone to wonder, but the beautiful thing about music is it's a great tool to help us remember truth. We may not remember the sermon from five months ago, but we remember amazing grace, how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. So use music as a tool. Remember God and find joy in him. So not only are, are, are we called to be uh, a people of joy and to daily find joy in the Lord, but we are also to be known for our joyful, Christ-like reputation. Read with me again verse 5, first half of it. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So, many of you know, some of you don't. Uh, I served in a church for a few years in West Texas. It's basically New Mexico. Uh, if Texans heard me say that, they'd beat me up, but it's okay. Uh, if I walked a quarter mile west, I would have been in New Mexico. And if you know that area, it's flat, it's kind of deserty, it's really windy, okay? And it's literally in the middle of nowhere. All right, so, so my family lives in Tennessee. My wife's family lives in the metro Detroit area. So we did a bit of traveling, right? And uh, the, the main way to get there is to fly from Dallas. Well, lo and behold, there's this airport that showed up in like the middle of a desert in eastern New Mexico that, that had like one job. And its job was to fly to Dallas, right? And to fly to kind of, it was just kind of to get to different hubs. And we were super excited. I, I use the term airport generously, okay? <laughs> very, very generously. It's like kind of like a gas station with an extra building on top of it. Uh, and the plane was basically a minivan with wings, okay? Uh, they kind of had these propellers, and they, they organized you by weight, which was kind of hurtful. They were like, how much do you weigh? And I was like, uh, all right, to the back, Dan. Man, come on. So they kind of they kind of organize you, and uh, they fly. And so with commercial jets, man, that's pretty smooth sailing for the most part, right? So if you fly out of like a major hub like Columbus, uh, you kind of jump into a jet, you you take off, you get above the clouds, you're kind of cruising, you land. If you have some wet bad weather, it gets a little bumpy, but not too bad. Okay, this plane you made save your admission to to Walt Disney World. You you get it all. Right, right there. All the terror without the rat, okay? <laughs> That's my pitch. And, uh, and so a buddy of mine was flying on this plane. And, uh, and so he's flying back from Dallas to Clovis, New Mexico. And as you know, the, there's just, it's just windy. It's just a mess. I mean, it's kind of a desert area. And so the plane starts to kind of shake. It starts to shake. And so he's like, oh, that's not good. 
So it's kind of shaking. And then it does one of those, right? And the, the ones that just kind of put your stomach in your throat. And he's like, oh, does it a couple more times. And he's about to lose his lunch. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no, the plane is, do I need to get a, like a, a, a parachute? Like, what is going on here? Like, you feel like the, the wings are going to come off, right? But he looks at the pilot because, again, this is basically a minivan. You can look at the pilot right there. Cool as a cucumber. And it was just like driving his kids to soccer practice. Not a big deal. You know, Christian, when we choose joy, we are known and we have a Christ-like reputation. We become a person who's known for being reasonable. So in the midst of the chaos of our lives, in the midst of all the different junk that goes on in our culture, when we choose joy, we become reasonable, gentle, and Christ-like. And so may that be our reputation as a church in this community, as you go into different circles of influence. May we be the calm pilot in the midst of a windy day. So we, we are to be known for a joyful Christ-like reputation, and, and really then we know the cornerstone of this passage. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Really, this is the foundation for why we can have joy, why we can fight anxiety, why we can change our thinking. It, it, this is the very, very cornerstone uh, of everything in this passage. If you've been with, with our church for a few weeks or uh, just kind of paid attention to the music that we sing, we have a very high view of Scripture. We have a very high view of God, and that's very intentional. So if you hung with us, you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. God is holy. God is wise. God is pure. You know, we can see 46 billion light years away from our planet, but there's a universe outside of that. There are stars, there are galaxies, there are planets outside of that. And the Lord created all of that just by speaking. Not only did he create it, he sustains it. He holds it in his grip. And he exists outside of time, which kind of hurts our brains, right? Because we view time linearly, right? We're born, we grow old, we die. God has existed before time began, and he will always exist. That God is at hand. The Lord is near to his children. And that is how we can have confidence that leads to contentment in our lives. So peace-filled people first are people of joy. Second, peace-filled people pray with thankfulness in their hearts. Let's read verses 6 and 7 together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we understand that the Lord is at hand, that the Lord is good, but man, we are so prone to forget. We are so prone to be so self-sufficient and so individualistic. And so we, we kind of wander a little bit, right? 
And the Lord in his goodness understands that, and so he gives us tools when, when the idol of self-sufficiency dies out and we become worried and we become anxious. He gives us tools to combat that anxiety. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is essentially the fight or fight, flight response within us, right? So if we're driving down the road and uh, our car starts sliding on the ice, we think, oh, I've got to slow down. i got to get control of the vehicle. I, I don't need to crash. Anxiety becomes a problem when we focus on our body's response or the problem at hand as opposed to the solution, right? So same analogy. I'm driving down the road. I start sliding. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to die. I start thinking about my heart beating. I start thinking about how I'm perspiring. I'm starting to think about all these different things. I'm thinking about my body's response, and I get focused on that, or I get focused on the problem, and I do not focus on the solution. That's when anxiety kind of gets out of control and out of hand in our lives. So as we face anxiety, as we face anxiety in different things, how should we respond? We should respond by taking them to the Lord, which sounds so simple, but it's so helpful in our lives. It is a, it is a yoke on our shoulders. And what the Lord is saying is lay it down at his feet. And, and so often we're like, no, no, I think I can handle this. The Lord says, no, bring it to me. He says, no, well, maybe if I try this different thing. And the Lord says, no, lay it down. And, and when we're to pray and we're to ask God, and we're to give our anxieties to the Lord with the confidence that he can handle it. And, and this confidence kind of comes with the idea of being thankful, right? He tells us to be thankful. And if we're honest, if we think about this, we're like, okay, that feels a little presumptuous, right? It feels like, oh man, or it, it feels a little disingenuous. It doesn't really feel honest because it's like, why on earth should I be like giving this to the Lord and be thankful about it or happy about it? No, this isn't just presumptuous. This is a confidence that the Lord is who we really believe him to be. He is all he said that he would be, and he is, we can be confident in that. I love that Scripture helps clarify Scripture. And so there are reasons why Christians can be thankful in their prayers. They can be confident in the Lord. In Romans 8, 28, it says, We know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. First Peter 5.10, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Second Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Finally, in Philippians 1, and I'm sure at this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does this look like? 
we have anxiety. There's a lot of us who struggle with anxiety if we're honest. So how do we practically deal with this? Number one, we come before the Lord and say, hey, here is what I'm struggling with. And we don't focus on the thing that we're struggling with. I think that's a key thing. Like, because then we're back to square one, right? We're like, oh, I'm so nervous about this, this uh, thing that I have to present. Oh, no, this thing that I have to present. Oh, no. Uh, maybe if I bring like a little towel or wipe my sweat. or oh, I, I need to, uh, And so then you start thinking about the presentation. No, don't think about the presentation. Say, you know what, God, I have this. I have this struggle. I'm anxious about this. I'm giving it to you. Why? Because you are good, and you who, bring, you who have started something in me will bring it to completion. Your ways are higher. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. We know that you walk with us, right? So we, we have this anxiety. We give it to the Lord. We don't focus on the thing we just gave him. We focus on him, and we thank him, and we have confidence that he is good. And then, you know, sometimes, like if, you, if you're giving a presentation, say, you know what, Lord, you can't just give it to him and say, okay, someone else is doing the presentation, right? That's not realistic. Say, Lord, give me wisdom to not have fear, but to trust in you. You're still going to have to deal with the situation, but say, Lord, give me wisdom to not have fear, but to trust in you. So, as we have anxiety, give it over, lay the yoke down, look to the Lord, look to what is true, and ask for wisdom in our life. And what's the promise? What's the promise in verse 7? Let's reread it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus God himself gives his peace. Can we, just, can we just savor that for just a second? Like God himself gives us his peace. You know, I, I'm a dad to two boys, Hudson and Harvey, and my youngest, Harvey, is still young enough to take naps. And that's awesome. I, I need him to take a nap. He needs to take his nap. His poor mother, bless her, she needs this kid to take a nap. Generally speaking, he's a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. We're blessed. We have two really great young men. But man, if he misses that nap, baby gremlin, you know, you know he's like, <laughs> he just gets busy. Should he be climbing this? No, but he does it anyway. He's just, he's just a busy young guy. So he needs his nap. He needs his nap to just kind of it's just like a reset button. But now he kind of is like turning a little moody. It's weird. Like you, if he wakes up before he's supposed to wake up, he just gets crabby. He just gets mean. He's just a little cantankerous little thing. He just gets fussy. He's just like, ah. So what does Melissa and I do? We, we go in. We pick him up. We let him rest on our, our, our shoulder. And we rock in the rocking chair, right? And uh, the situation around him doesn't necessarily change. But we impart the peace in us to him. Eventually he settles down and uh, he's ready to go on with his day. And if you push on this analogy, it's going to crumble. 
Um, you know, and, and I'm, not meant to, I'm not trying to be overly sentimental, but, but hear this. Abba Father holds us in perfect peace. We can melt into a peace that surpasses understanding, and we are held in his grip. And so, in the fussiness of our lives, we can know that truth. And listen to the qualifier after this. It says, well, look, look at it with me. And the peace of God, what, what does it say? That makes all of our lives better. No. That makes us the best, best version of us. No. That takes everything away and gives us two tickets to Disney World. Nope. It surpasses all understanding. God doesn't take away the struggle in our life. He walks with us through the struggle. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so culture will look at us and be like, look at our situation and look at our lives and be like, what on earth? Like, he should be just as miserable as I am. Why on earth is he content? Why on earth is he at peace in his life? Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And when the Lord holds us, we're also promised that the Lord alone safeguards us. The Lord alone safeguards us. So in the noise and the chaos, when we are held in the peace of Jesus, all that noise is silenced. So people of peace, peace-filled people, are known as people of joy. They're known as people who pray with thanksgiving in their hearts. And finally, peace-filled people change the way that they think. They change the way that they think. So, if you're a person and you have this anxiety in your head, or however we want to do the analogy, I mix the metaphors like a champ, but it's okay. So, you take this yoke and you lay it down at the feet of Jesus. If we're not careful, if we just try to live with, that, with a void in our lives, we're so prone to go pick it back up. But once we lay this down, we must take upon us a different way of thinking. Let me, let me kind of illustrate it a different way. If I tell you guys, don't think about red houses. Don't think about red houses. Just don't think about it. Think about anything but red houses. What are you guys thinking about right now? Exactly. Exactly. You guys are thinking about red houses. So when we empty ourselves, when we lay our anxieties at the feet of Jesus... We must change the way we're thinking. We have to fill our mind with something else. We have to replace that thought with godliness, with, with things that, that God would have us think. And so God gives us a list here. Let's read again verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So we're called to, to think, when we drop off our anxieties, we're called to fill our minds with thoughts that honor the Lord. And we could preach a whole sermon on Philippians 4.8, but we're just going to give you bullet points to kind of help clarify what the original intent was and, and then how we can apply it. So we're to think on things that are true. So ultimately we're to think on things, we're to think on the Word of God. The Word of God is our wellspring of truth. It is our standard. It is the, the source in which we can, we can find life. We're to think on things that are honorable. Honorable can also be translated as respectable or revered. This is the adjective that describes uh, the characteristic of an elder or a deacon in the, the pastoral epistles. So don't think about dumb things. Think about things that are respectable. Think about things that are honorable. Think about things that are just. Think about how can I do the right thing in this situation? How can I act righteously? How can I act in accordance with God's standards? Think about things that are pure. Don't linger on things that will tempt us, right? Don't linger on things that will pull our mind and our attention away. Think on holy, good things. Think about things that are lovely. Think about things that are pleasing and beautiful to the Lord. Think about things that are commendable. Think about things that the Lord ultimately delights in and brings him praise. And so here at church, it's kind of easy to, to kind of go through this list and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, yep, absolutely, I can, I can hang with this. But man, Monday morning, when we have to go back to school or we have to go back to our work, this fills a little pie in the sky, Right? And how, if we're honest, how do we realistically apply this? So I, I want to help us think through that and, and give us some practical tools in how do we apply this. First, let's test what we consume against this list. Now, I'm not here to talk about the evils of TV and the evils of social media and the evils of music. Again, those are tools that can be redeemed, but if we're mastered by them, we should set them aside right? So the ideas that are being conveyed in a TV show or music or the books we're leading, reading or the podcast we're listening to, assess that against this standard. And if it's helpful, use it. If it's not, if it's not true, if it's not pure, if it's not holy, you should probably not utilize it. Cast it aside. Maybe we should use this list to analyze the thoughts that rattle around in our head. For instance, if, if you're a Christian, if you have professed that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, we are assured that you are a Christian. But sometimes there's this thought that rattles in your head, especially after you mess up. It's like, oh my, are you serious? You, you think you're a Christian? Quit, quit playing. What are you talking about, man? You're not good enough. That's that negative thought. Now we assess it. Is that true? We know that the Lord, that, that we can never lose our salvation, neither height nor depth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we have confessed that Jesus is Savior and Lord. So if we have a true thought, we need to reject this other thought. So we, we test what we consume. We test our thoughts. And then we also don't sink in the negativity and cynicism of our peers and our circumstances. 
So you may be thinking to yourself, man, how do we like apply this list? Like it's 3 a.m. I'm, I'm a young dad, so these are the analogies you're going to get. Um, it's 3 a.m. My kid's crying his head off because he just blew up the diaper. And maybe it's just too much information, but whatever. You guys can hear it. And so you're just kind of wandering in, and everything's dark, and you're just, you know, floor's creaky, and you're like, what on earth is going on? This kid is crying, and, the, and it's just a mess, and it smells awful. And, and then you're just like, okay, well, how do you have a thought that's pure and a thought that's true in that situation? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're just like, your kids have morphed into like these gorillas and you like feel like you're in a zoo and like the kids are like, <laughs> I've become a monkey now. Like how do you have a thought that is just, right? Or maybe you're in work and everybody cusses and everybody tells dirty jokes or tells dumb jokes or they just kind of have this negative workplace kind of thing going on. How do you have these thoughts in the midst of that culture. Well, I would encourage you, even still when when you're dealing with these situations, even in small things, find things that are true and right and just. So before I served in pastoral ministry, I worked at Sherwin-Williams, so a paint store. And so I did all the color matching, I did stain matching, which was one of my favorite things. We filled orders, we did all the stuff. So I worked at a Sherwin-Williams shop. And uh, basically, once, uh, once you unload the pallets, you unload the you know, five-gallon buckets, you get all the orders done, you know, there's usually kind of this lull. And uh, in the back of most Sherwin-Williams, there's this garage door. And so basically, all the guys would just lift up the garage door, and they bust out the cigarettes, and they just like talk about the day and just whine and complain. I did not smoke. You can take me off your prayer list. It's Okay. But you know what? You want to build a relationship with, with your coworkers because ultimately you want, to build, you want to be able to kind of build a bridge and possibly share the gospel with them, right? You don't want to be kind of the weirdo who just, you know, doesn't engage. But, but when they're talking and when they're doing things, usually things trend negative. Maybe I'm wrong, but usually things can trend negative. And, and you don't have to approach that with a holier-than-thou mentality, but you can approach it with things that are true, they could be talking about how terrible a customer is, but you can say, you know what? That one dude that came in, he was all right. If I was a painter, I'd want to work with him. Is that holier than thou? No. But is that thinking on things that are true? Yes. You're not, you're not tearing someone down behind their back. You're building them up. Is that sharing the gospel? No. But hopefully that is one small step in building a bridge that we can be different and we can share our faith. So as Christians, we have a lot to work on. We don't do this completely, perfectly well. But may we be a people that are marked uh, with joy, that we choose joy daily, that we bring our anxieties to the Lord in prayer. We lay them down. We don't focus on the anxiety, we focus on the Lord, and we ask him for wisdom to not have fear, but to trust in him. And then we change the way that we think. We assess the thoughts that rattle around in our brain against this standard, and we reject lies, and we focus on truth. May we be a people that are marked by that thing, and we are promised that God imparts his peace to those who seek him. If you are not a Christian, 
you know, this may feel a little self-helpy, but this is not a life hack. This is not a way to make your life better. Really, what I'm teaching you guys is the Lord is near to his children, and we can have hope in the Lord. I'm not here to persuade you of, of a way to make your life better. I'm here to persuade you to surrender your life to the Lord, and through him, we can have hope, and we can have peace that surpasses understanding. So how do we become a Christian? It is easy as ABC. First, we admit that we're sinners. In Romans 3.10, it says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, because we're just are sinful people, we deserve death. But Jesus saw our hopelessness and saw that we couldn't save ourselves. So he came to earth fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life, and that we deserve to die, he died and rose again. If we believe that he is the only way, that he died and rose again, and then we finally see, confess. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how do we apply all of this? What we say is, God, I'm the boss of my life right now. I want you to be the boss of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I know that I'm a sinner, that I can't save myself, and I know Jesus is the only way. If we do that, we are promised a life, and we're promised to be adopted as God's child. So now we're going to enter into a time of response. We're going to respond however the Lord's working on your life. If you need to accept Christ, I'll be, I'll be available to talk with you to help process that. If you need to pray and just ask the Lord to help you in seeking peace, the altar's open. If you need to just simply sing and just meditate on the lyrics that we're singing, we'll, we'll have Nick come up and and lead us in a song. We're going to sing through one of the great hymns of the faith, It Is Well With My Soul. We're going to sing through this hymn, so I encourage you to meditate on that and respond however the Lord is leading you. And maybe you're, you're one of these people that say, hey, I really need to kind of process this out of this kind of context. Let us know. Reach out. Reach out to the church office. Reach out on our website, and our, our pastoral staff would love to help you process. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you truly are all that you said you would be. And God, through you, even though we face adversity, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil, for you are with us. God, we thank you for that reality. So God, wherever we're at, this morning. God, let us not linger in our anxiety. Let us not linger in our self-sufficiency, but let us trust in you because you are good, you are holy, and you can handle this. Guide us this morning, and may we be uh, faithful to respond however you call us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.